Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Okay, good morning everybody. We're gonna cover Zechariah 8 and talk about the joy being restored in Zion and in Jerusalem and Israel and what that's going to look like in the millennial reign of Christ. It's an amazing chapter. You know, the Israelites, remember they've been in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. Cyrus gave them incentives to go back and rebuild their temple. They've been trying to do that for a while and they didn't get very far because they were spiritually immature. And as a result, uh, the Lord raises up Haggai to prophesy to them to finish the job. Uh, There's a gap in time and then the Lord raises up Zechariah to encourage them to spiritual maturity. And so it's really a, a unique book. And chapter eight is God's encouragement to his people. And the question that's really going to hit all of us, I think, on the back half of this chapter is, are we believing a lie or the truth? And if we're believing the truth, then we can take God at his word and trust in his promises. If you believe in the lie, uh, you'll be discouraged, you'll be distraught, and you'll wallow in your current circumstances. And that's kind of the the situation the Lord's going to hit with Israel here. So like we always do, let's open up in prayer before we open up God's word. Lord, we thank you again for this time. God, I do pray that you would bless our fellowship together. Lord, as we study your word right here as a family, we pray that it would absolutely transform our lives. God, your word is so precious. And by it, we have life, we have light, we have, you are our strength of our days, the length of our days and our strength. And Lord, I pray that you would build up our faith from Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we pray that Lord, you would watch over us in this time together. We thank you so much for what you're doing in the world right now. Be with us and watch over us, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You know, I always encourage everybody to get into their Bibles as usual. That's um, the role of a, of a pastor is to try to make yourself um, obsolete. So you want, you want to be able to teach the people and encourage the people to get into the word of God and, and let them uh, learn to study the word. And when you do that, 1 John 2, 27 and 28, if you've never read that before, go home and read that about how the Holy Spirit will teach you everything in the Bible. And it's, it's something that should encourage you that you, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, you can sit down with him and the author himself will teach you everything you need to know from the scripture. And it's, it's not an instantaneous you know, download like the matrix or something, right? It's not like all of a sudden you're gonna know Kung Fu. It's just, it's a time and it's building a relationship and it's being with the Lord and sitting and letting him shape your life and mold you and speak to you. And our God is a consuming fire from Hebrews. And so everything in your life starts to burn away so that what's left 
is the Lord Almighty and, and what his call is on your life. And then you can really walk and you'll have more contentment and joy than at any other time in your life, I promise you. So like I mentioned, Zechariah, he's, he has risen, God raises him up post-exile, so after the Babylonian captivity. So you're looking at the kind of the very end of the Old Testament. And after he's, he's commissioned by God to go and encourage the people because they are distraught. They're mourning, they're weeping, they're sorrowful, they, they're not getting very far in rebuilding the temple. And remember last time in chapter seven, we looked at all these different fasts that they were holding to, that they were sticking with, that were man-made, not God-ordained, and they were man-made fasts of mourning and sorrow. And in chapter seven, God was encouraging them, hey, why are you weeping and sorrowful now when I've brought you out of captivity? You should turn your feasts of your fast of mourning into feasts of joy because I've restored you. I've given you everything you need. It's time to rebuild the temple and get in relationship with me. And so after these, the visions in chapters one through six, we're in this little interlude. Well, after this interlude, starting next week in chapter nine, the Lord is going to prophesy for about five chapters all about the Messiah. And chapter nine next week is where he rides in on a donkey from Zechariah 9, 9, we see that fulfilled in the Gospels. And, but the Lord speaks of Jesus in terms of the stone with seven eyes. He's going to talk about his throne. And the characteristics of chapter 8 today that we're going to look at and study are characteristics in Israel because Jesus is on his throne. And there's no other way. Do not let anyone convince you that we are going to usher in the millennium without the king. Okay, there's a, there are some people out there that try to teach that the church is going to usher in the kingdom and we're going to take over the world, and, and it's all going to be peace and happy and joyful, but we're going to do it without Jesus and without the king, and that's just not biblical. And so you've got to keep that in mind, that everything that's, that the Lord is promising about the millennium is because a righteous king is going to rule the earth, and he's going to sit on his throne in Jerusalem, and he will rule with righteousness and justice. But we talked about Jesus the Nazarene, remember the branch and how that, that prophecy from Isaiah is fulfilled, or I'm sorry, from Zechariah is fulfilled uh, in the New Testament. But the king around the donkey, I mentioned that. The shepherd, his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver and what they did with the money we're gonna look at later on. And Jesus being pierced and crucified from Zechariah 12. Crucifixion wasn't even invented yet when God prophesied this. When Jesus, when the Lord says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. That's a crucifixion term. And then in Zechariah 14, obviously, his return in power and destroying his enemies. So we've gone through this outline. We've gone through this, all 10 visions from the Lord that occurred in one night. And then there was that two-year span from the end of chapter 6 to the start of chapter 7. And chapter 7 and 8 are these interludes regarding some feast days. And then starting next week, we get into a lot of pretty deep prophecy about the Messiah. So remember, chapters 1 through 6 all occurred in that one night. They covered a wide spectrum of the history of Israel, the subjugation of Israel's enemies, regathering of Israel in the land, Israel's cleansing and restoration, the tribulation preparing for the establishment of the millennium, and then chapter seven took place approximately two years later, and you can compare chapter one, verse one, verses seven, verse one, 
in the second year of King Darius versus the fourth year of King Darius. So there's a, there's a gap of time, about two years. In chapter eight, God is going to declare the coming joy and prosperity for his people in Zion. And God uses a lot of terms repetitively in chapter eight. The Lord of hosts, 18 times, or in the Hebrew, it really means the Lord of the armies and how God is the general. He's gonna talk about Jerusalem six times, Zion two times, Jealous three times, the remnant twice, and he refers to all 12 tribes, by the way, Jerusalem and Judah, and thus saith the Lord 10 times. And so God's really, this whole chapter is all about encouragement for the Israelites. But you and I have some principles to get out of this. And like I mentioned, the question that will really hit us in the back half of this chapter is whether we are believing the truth or a lie about God and what he has for us. So let's just dive in in verse one here. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Remember, that's Lord of the armies, the organized armies of heaven, actually, came to me saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was zealous for, jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. You know, it's amazing how we tend to see jealousy in our culture in such a negative light. You know, you tell your kids, don't, well, don't be jealous of them. And we've, we've somehow equated jealousy with coveting and kind of held it at those, at those being equal. And it's not quite the same. Uh, what God is saying is that, and all through the Bible, if you look what jealous means biblically, jealous from God's perspective is he is jealous for your affection. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's coveting um, in a sinful sense. It means he is longing for you. And that's why in Exodus 34, verse 14, for thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. You know, I don't, so I personally would not attribute any name of God to something negative. So jealous in this sense is not negative, but it appears 19 times in the Bible. And so God uses it repeat, repetitively throughout his word. Look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. In fact, on the way to church this morning, Ava told me, said, uh, Dad, my favorite element is fire. And I said, oh, why is that? And we talked about it, and, and I said, is it because of Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire? And she's like, yeah, exactly. Our God's a consuming fire. He's gonna wipe them out. And I was like, okay, all right, she's a pistol. But uh, a consuming fire, you know, you don't, you don't often think about that, but what does a fire consume? It consumes everything that can burn away and what can't burn away is from God. And so you just think about that. He wants to burn everything away in your life that's not from him, even a jealous God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 15, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Boy, that's an encouraging verse for Israel. You know, either, either you, you submit and get right with the Lord or else he's gonna be kindled against you and just wipe you off the face of the earth. Now, that's, those are some staunch words, and he actually did that. He wiped out an entire generation in the wilderness because they would not submit to him. But God is jealous for you and I. And just as he was jealous for Israel, he's jealous for us. He's jealous for our commitment, our affection, our devotion to him. How committed are, are you in your life to the king? He's really jealous for you. You know, he wants, he wants you 
to be in lockstep with his word, in surrendering to him, in yielding your life to him, in giving him everything that you have that he's entrusted you with. You know, it's all for his glory. So do that today. You know, thus saith the Lord in verse three here, I am returned unto Zion. Okay, well, that hasn't happened yet. And will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. That hasn't happened yet. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. And that hasn't happened yet. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. You know, none of, verse three here is, is, you could spend a year studying these five attributes of what God's going to do. And, but Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is. If you study truth, truth occurs 235 times in the Bible. It's amazing. Remember how Pilate so sarcastically asked Jesus, what is truth? You know, he knew, Pilate knew that something was different about this man. And he knew he was the son of God. But what is truth? John 1 verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the embodiment of truth. John 3 verse 21, but he that doth doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought of God. You know, when you, act, when you execute your life and you live your life day in, day out, living in truth, those works are brought before, they're brought into the light. And man, mankind, they know that what you're doing is of the, of the truth and of God. They're wrought of God. And I know a lot of times we do things in our lives and people can, can accuse you of things. People can doubt your intentions of things. People can question what you're doing in your life or whatever it may be. But just know that anything you're doing that is committed to serving Jesus and serving the Lord, those works will be found in the light to be found that they are done in truth. And God will be the judge of that. So don't, don't be discouraged when you're doing the right thing and the world wants to ridicule you for it because you will be vindicated for it. Jesus will make every one of those, right, those wrongs right. And just be encouraged in that. It may not happen in your lifetime. It may not be until you get to the Bema seat of Christ, but he will, he will set that record straight. So just be encouraged in that. The truth shall make you free from John 8, 32. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you need to be in the truth to come to the Father. And the only way to be in the truth is to, is to be through Jesus in the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, Jerusalem is not called a city of truth today, but it will be. When the one who is truth reigns over the earth from Jerusalem, it will be called a city of truth. Right now, it's a bone in the throat of all nations of the world, according to Zechariah. And you're seeing that right now yet again all of a sudden, the whole world's forgotten about Russia and Ukraine, and the entire world is focused on this little tiny plot of land, once again called Israel. And it's one-tenth the size of Oklahoma. It's a people group that have been scattered around the world for the better part of 2,000 years, and they've been back in the land for 75 years as of May 14th of this year. And the world is once again obsessed with Jerusalem and Israel and God's promise 
and the land's not theirs, the land is theirs, wipe them off the map. And all of that, when you study the Bible, as you know, are pointing to the signs of the end times, that the world will once again be focused on Israel. Now, Mount Zion will be called the holy mountain, the mountain of the Lord of hosts in the millennial reign. You see this in Psalms 2, verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You know, the phrases um, in Psalms 2, you can diagram that entire psalm. We've gone through that a couple times here in church. That's a dialogue between the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son speaking amongst themselves. It's really a fruitful study to diagram out those verses and see how the, the Trinity actually are sitting there talking and laughing at the heathen. But the Lord of hosts, you know, the organized armies of heaven, Jesus, he's going to lead us back from Revelation 19 and vanquish his enemies. Okay, in verse 4 here, thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. Now, what God is talking about here are some characteristics of the millennium. And if you were here at church a couple years ago when we went through Revelation, it's the first book we went through as a church, we did an entire week studying the characteristics of the millennium. A lot of what the millennium is about, you can read about in Isaiah 65, covers a lot of the millennium, um, and a couple spots in Jeremiah. But otherwise, we don't know much about the characteristics of how the world will operate in that time. We know that all the nations of the world will bring gifts to the Messiah. We know that if they don't, they won't have rain in their land. And actually, Zechariah prophesies that Egypt won't and towards the end of, the, of this book. And that because of that, they'll be in a drought for a while. Things will be very different when Jesus rules on the earth. The temple, the millennial temple, will be only open on the new moon and on the Sabbaths. And there are a lot of characteristics that we don't even know how to fathom in our world right now. You know, in Psalms, it says uh, your life will be three score and 10. And if by reason of strength, you'll be four score. That's a 70 to 80 year range. Well, in the millennium, if you're saved, you may live a thousand years at that point. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. Look at this in, in Isaiah 65. Sin and death is still around, but a hundred years old apparently could be the new age of accountability in Isaiah 65 verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. In other words, if, you, if you're saved and you die at a hundred years old, you're considered a child. But if you're a sinner, because sin and death is still around in the millennium, it's not put down quite yet. It's just judged immediately. That's the difference. And there's gonna be a people that survive the tribulation. They go into the, into the millennial reign of Christ and they're repopulating the earth. But there's gonna be a whole group of people that grew up having never known the world without Jesus reigning in Jerusalem. That's amazing. And at the end of the, of the thousand years, Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit. He goes out and deceives the nations again, and they all gather around Jerusalem to try to wipe out Jesus. And this time, fire from heaven comes down, according to Revelation, and just takes them out. And then we go into what you could think of as eternity from that point forward. But every man with his staff in his, in his hand for very age. In other words, longevity will be restored. You know, it's hard to imagine people walking around who could be 900 plus years old 
but that's what you're gonna see in the millennium. And when we come back with Jesus in Revelation 19, you get the chance to minister to those people. You get the chance to talk to them and share the gospel with them. And the Lord's gonna have cities to give you from the gospels. Remember the parables of the cities with talents? Okay, whatever you did in this life, you're gonna be rewarded for it there. And so for us, you, know, you kind of have to look at, look at it in terms of for us, eternity starts when either we die or the rapture, but it's kind of overlapped where eternity for everyone else starts after the millennium. There's like this time of the span of time, the thousand year millennial reign and the tribulation, how long between the rapture and the tribulation starting, that eternity for a lot of people on the earth hasn't started yet. It starts after that. And so it's a very interesting time. Very, very interesting. Okay, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Man, Israel would love to see that right now. The boys and girls able to run around the streets and just play and laugh and run up those hills and go in fellowship with Jesus. But right now they're under siege, they're under attack. The whole world's pointing warships at them. China's brought six or seven different warships into the sea. If you watch the prophecy update before we started here, I mean, it's just over and over about Iran, Turkey, Russia, China, Israel, the war is just boiling over there. So again, we need to, we, at the end, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and peace for those Israelites and that the Lord give us, gives us as his church some more time to operate. But thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts? Now, this is a pretty sarcastic question by God. In other words, see, God is telling his people, hey, there's gonna come a time that the boys and girls will run and be joyful and playing in the streets. Men of very old age will walk around with their staffs in their hands. And the people living at that time, trying to rebuild the temple, can't see it because they're under attack. They're not getting very far. They're, they're suffering in Israel. The nations surrounding them are trying to stop what they're doing. And so look what the question God asks them. Just because it's marvelous in their eyes that I will do this, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes? In other words, just because they don't see it and understand it doesn't mean that I don't. And God says that same thing to you and I. God may be calling you to do something so radical in your life. I mean, he may be calling you to do something absolutely radical that you're thinking, there is no way this makes any logical sense at all. And when you get to that point, that's how you know it's from God. Because God will call you to do things that make no sense to you. And that you'll think, how am I gonna do this in my strength? Well, you're not, you're gonna do it in his strength. And you're gonna go out and do something and don't let it be just because it's marvelous in your eyes mean that God can't perform that and fulfill that in your life. Look at Jeremiah 32 verse 17. All Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. That's Jesus. He's always the right arm of God in the scripture. And there is nothing too hard for thee. Nothing. It doesn't mean that there's occasionally something that's too hard for God. There is nothing. Skip down a few verses in Jeremiah 32 and verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You know, obviously the answer is no, there is nothing too hard for God. And so I just wanna encourage you if, you, if you feel like God is calling you to do something in your life, 
take it to him and trust him and trust him that he will work he will work all things to good for those that love the Lord. Okay, there's a promise there from Romans. In verse seven, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. Okay, God is now looking long past their captivity from Babylon. Okay, they weren't dispersed to the east and the west. They were dispersed north. So he's looking long past that to the, to the diaspora of when Israel was scattered after 70 AD when Titus Eusebius came in and just leveled the temple and everything and the Romans took over and, and just wiped them out after the Bar Kokhba revolt and they were scattered everywhere, all over the, the earth from east to west. So God's saying in that time, and this is amazing because he's talking to a generation of Israelites that are thousands of years away you know, at this point or I'm not, I shouldn't say thousands, maybe 600 years away or so. But he's giving them encouragement and he's telling them from that point when they're scattered, he will bring them back. You know, and that happened roughly 1900 years after that happened. In verse eight now, starting in verse eight, he's, gonna, he's laying out something about the diaspora here. And I'll bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, ye that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before these days, there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast, neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. But in verse 11 here, but now... I will not be unto the residue of this people as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. So God will abundantly bless the future Israelites when he regathers them the second time. From Isaiah 11, verses 11 through 12, that happened on May 14th of 1948. So just imagine, you were looking at prophecies by God that, that took all the way from around, call it 560 BC or so, until May 14th of 1948 to be fulfilled. So it was over thousands of years. I guess I take, I recant my recant. It was, it was, it was thousands of years. But they, yeah, you can't triple stamp or double stamp. But the... So it took all this time to be fulfilled, okay? It took so long, but he's prophesying to them to encourage them. I mean, imagine Israel, isn't it amazing that the Jews, they were scattered all over the world and yet they remained a people group for the better part of 1900 years, culturally, linguistically, their, their tribes, their, their customs, their rituals. It's amazing, and here you are, you are getting to, to watch in the headlines, living and breathing the prophetic word of God come to pass for 75 years. It's just incredible. You are living in the most unique time in human history. I'm telling you, uh, we are barreling towards the time of which the Bible speaks about more than any other time in history. And we are, and we are marching headfirst into it. So just keep your eyes open and looking up. In verse 13 here, and it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah, 
and house of Israel. That's how you know he's speaking to all 12 tribes. Okay, there are a lot of teachings out there that try to convince you that God lost somehow 10 tribes of Israel. And that, that never happened biblically. So keep in mind, God is speaking to all of the Jews. God did not lose his people. He knows about every single one of them. And in Revelation, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes are sealed for the 144,000 witnesses. So he knows where they are and he's got them. So will I save you and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. So again, he's encouraging this future generation. Okay, the diaspora was prophesied by God throughout the Bible. In Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 62, it would be a result of apostasy and sin. There would be a worldwide dispersion according to Deuteronomy 28, 63 through 68. Their national election would be set aside, but only for a time, only for a short time. And that's in Romans 11, 1 through 12, Jeremiah 24, 9, etc. Look at Romans 11, 25. How long will their national election be set aside? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Anytime God is asking in his word to not be ignorant about something, listen to him and don't be ignorant about it. (laughs) Because he does not, he wants you to be blessed by this. This is a blessing. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So when the church is complete and God calls us home, blindness falls off of Israel, the scales fall off their eyes, and they will start to see their Messiah, whom they have pierced, according to Zechariah 12. Okay, and they're going to cry out to the Messiah in Hosea 5.15 and petition his return and plead for forgiveness. And then finally, like I mentioned, when he returns, they will look upon him whom they've pierced in Zechariah 12.10 through 14. In verse 14 here, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath. Well, you've got to, you've got to be brave to provoke God to wrath. But saith the Lord of hosts, and I repented not. See, God is unchanging and warned Israel repeatedly of what would happen if they were disobedient. He told them over and over and over again that if they were not obedient, he would dispossess them of their inheritance and they would not go into the promised land. So their captivity was not a mere accident or some unexplainable calamity because he also told them if you, don't, if you do not follow my word, then I will also let those strangers from the north, from Babylon, come and take you into captivity. And that's exactly what happened. They were supposed to sow the ground and till it for six years and let it rest the seventh, and they didn't do it for 490 years. And so God tells them, you owe me 70, so that the land can enjoy her Sabbaths. So for 70 years, it it laid and enjoyed its Sabbaths. But their captivity, it wasn't just like all of a sudden they got attacked and it was some unexplainable thing. They, they really should have seen it as, wow, we didn't listen to God. We, we really, honestly, we tested him over and over for 490 years, and he's a God that keeps his word and is unchanging, and the punishment he said we would have, we're actually living out now. And so take, keep that in mind in your own life as well. So again, have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah? Fear ye not. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Speak and execute. 
God has the same call for you and I from James 1.22. You can find this throughout the New Testament, actually. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, how many Christians hear the word and do nothing with it? They do nothing about it. They don't let it change their lives. They don't take action out of it. They hear it, they receive it, and they just sit on it. And God wants you to execute. He wants you to be a doer. He wants you to take that and figure out what is he calling you in your life to do. And then, like I mentioned earlier, you will have more joy and contentment than you've ever had in your life. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath, for all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. You know, so we, honestly, we should post this verse in every courthouse in our nation that, that, we, that love no false oath for all these things I hate, saith the Lord. But are we ready for any sorrow or sadness to be turned to unspeakable joy? That's, that's the kind of the question that God's hitting here now. In verse 18, and the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the 10th. So remember last week when we covered chapter seven, there were all of these fasts that were man-made that they instituted that were not ordained by God, and they always celebrated some sorrowful event in the lives of Israel. And because of that, God is once again calling them out, thus saith the Lord host, the fast, all these man-made fasts, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth, you're gonna take those, take those fasts of mourning and sorrow, and I'm going to turn them to joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. Now they should believe that. They, Israelites, the Israelites should believe that and let go of these fasts of mourning and, oh, this is when we went to, to Babylonian captivity, so we have this fast for that. This is when uh, the generation in the wilderness got wiped out for murmuring and not believing God. We've got a fast for that. He's saying, quit sorrow, quit wallowing in sorrow and move on in your life, and, and speak joy and life, and let's turn those into feasts. But you know, are you believing that same truth, or are you stuck in a lie? That's a question for all of us. Are you believing the same truth? How often in our own lives, when something really bad happens, the enemy will want to drag you back there a lot, and he'll want to remind you of it constantly. Well, remember when this happened, remember when you did this, or maybe it's some trauma in your life or something, and God's always wanting you to put your hand on the plow and look forward. Remember what Jesus said, no man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So he wants you moving forward in his call to you. The word always wants you moving forward. Now, if you haven't taken care of some of those things in the past, there may be something that you need to go back and repent of or yield to God or ask God to give you a lesson. Why did I go through this in my life? Okay, and let, him, and let him show you that. But if you're wallowing in it, in sorrow, and kind of, man, woe is me, I just, I can never catch a break, you know, or whatever it is, uh, that's the enemy. The enemy wants to pull you back, back to your past. And the key is to move forward into your future for what God has for you. Okay, thus saith the Lord of hosts in verse 20, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go speedily to pray before the Lord 
and to seek the Lord of hosts, I will go also. Now, God is talking about what's going to be happening yet again in the millennium. The entire world will go in haste to get to the king. People will be so eager to make it to Jerusalem and bring their gifts before the Lord and fellowship with him. So many cities, the earth will be filled with the people that love the Lord. Can't wait for that. It's heartbreaking you know, to watch them currently reject him. When you look about what's going on in cities, just in our own country, I mean, all of these riots and protests of, of free Palestine and all these people out there that, that are just blaspheming the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, you know, how ironic that so many of them are of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The... Also, well, the LGBTQ community, right? They're with their flags and everything and yelling free Palestine. And how confused are they? Those are the people that would literally kill them on the spot and just behead them. I mean, the confusion is, is rampant in our world today. And God is not the author of confusion. And we need to pray for those people. But you're watching all over the cities right now of the world. There, it's hard to find a city that really honors Jesus, you know, it's hard to find a place, an urban core that is safe and joyful and feels happy <laughs> that you can go to and that's filled with the spirit of God. And I've said this so many times, but we're blessed where we live today that you can, you can get that a lot here. And we're, we are a very blessed city, but the earth will be filled with a people that love the Lord. Uh, look at Zechariah 8, verse 22. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Okay, in Isaiah 65, 19, in this verse here, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So rejoicing in Jerusalem and joy in, in my people in Israel, they are not rejoicing right now. They're at war with so many different groups, uh, the United States, goodness, we're bombing Syria. Iran's now saber-rattling over and over. Erdogan from Turkey is declaring that Israel has no right to the land. Russia's trying to get involved. Like I mentioned earlier, China has sent warships now. Now, praise God that the United States has not turned on Israel yet, that we're still backing them and saying we stand with Netanyahu. But he's, he is in the midst of a powder keg. Look at Isaiah 2, verse 2 and 3. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. See, Jesus is predicted he will reign on Mount Zion, the top of the mountains. His house shall be established, the millennial temple. He will sit on the throne of David as promised to Mary and Luke. And all nations are going to flow to it all nations, that God means all nations will flow to it. Verse three, many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of God, of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. Boy, that will be a different world to live in when the nations want Jesus to teach them his ways and walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, isn't that interesting? The law of the Messiah shall go forth out of Zion. Look at Psalms 122, 
It's pretty short here. Let's just read through this. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now in Psalms 122 verse five, the thrones of judgment, notice that is plural. Okay, Jesus will sit on a throne of judgment, the throne of David. We know that, that's prophesied. But what are these other thrones of judgment? It could be a hint from Luke 22 verse 30. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel? He also mentions that in Matthew 19 verse 28 and they have a promise that they will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice it's all 12, it's not just two or three or four, but it's all of them. And that could be a reference in Psalms 122.5. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem in Psalms 122 verse six. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions sake, I will now say peace be within thee because of the house of the Lord of our God, I will seek thy good. Now that's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, the last verse here in verse 23 it's the last verse of chapter eight here. In those days it shall come to pass that 10 men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations. Okay, so there are multiple languages in the millennium. Even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew saying, we will go with you for we have heard that God is with you. The skirt, the place of authority. Remember we've talked about this a few times. Remember the woman with the issue of blood wanted to touch the skirt of Jesus? She is, she, she ushered her way through the crowd and she was longing to touch the skirt of the Messiah because that in the ancient times, that's where the authority was. It was in the skirt. That's why David cut the skirt of Saul. Remember, he had the crest and he held up to him to say, see, I could have killed you in the cave, but I didn't. Remember in Ruth, Ruth, when she was with Boaz, she asked him, pull thy skirt over me. And she was saying, take the authority of your household and put it over me and my family. And so the skirt, it's the place of authority. That woman with the issue of blood, uh, she had to be a Gentile, otherwise she wouldn't have been there. And it's amazing that she had an issue of blood for 12 years and Jesus is on his way to raise a 12-year-old Jewish daughter. So a woman is healed by blood on the way, the bride of Christ, on the way to raising a woman uh, that's 12 years old, speaking of Israel, the daughter of someone and raising him up. It, the whole thing is a type of the church being formed on the way to raising Israel, which we're en route to do. Uh, the world, though, will honor and long for the Jews, and they will no longer be a people that are ridiculed, persecuted, hated, satanically attacked. You know, if you watch what is done to Israel and what people say about the Jews, Make no doubt, it is satanically inspired because of Hosea 5.15, because they have to petition for Jesus to return. And if Satan, his perspective, what Satan thinks is if he can wipe them out, then they can't do that. That's why there's always been an attack and it's heated up on them ever since uh, the gospel period and when the Lord scattered them all over the world. 
you know, are they, in, in Zechariah 8, the real question is, are they believing God at his word, that they would all be restored to this? And are we believing God at his word for promises for you and I? Because we have so much to look forward to in our lives. And like I mentioned last time, after we go through Zechariah, we're going to do a study on, on just inheritance and rewards and what does it mean biblically and do a deep dive study on that because I really want everyone to understand the doctrine of the, in the Bible that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And like we've mentioned so many times, there's five crowns in the Bible. Each one's tied to something different that you do in your life. Those crowns are laid up for you. And remember in Revelation 3, Jesus said, hold thy fast what thy have that no man take thy crown. You cannot lose your salvation because you're born again. And the Holy Spirit then permanently indwells you as a member of the church. That's why Jesus in John 3 said, you must be born again. Because how can one be unborn once they're born? You can't. At that point, the question is, what do you do with your life as a child of the king? And these crowns that are laid up for you, each of the names God gave them, it, it's a tie to what it should produce in your life. And the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8 when you're looking for the rapture of the church, it should produce righteousness in your life. It should produce a deep desire for you to walk in holiness and righteousness before our King because you know that at any moment he's going to call you home and you're going to be doing something and then your eternity starts at that moment and everything you did in your life will ripple for all eternity. And the question is, was it for the King or for your flesh? That's really what it comes down to. The crown of glory, crown imperishable, the crown of rejoicing, crown of life. In, in Revelation, there are all these rewards to the overcomer, to eat of the tree of life. You and I have a promise that we will get to be restored access to the tree of life. That's amazing. You know, access was taken from Adam and Eve because God, if they would have eaten of it, in their fallen state, they would have stayed immortal that way. God had to remove access to it. But he guarded, he remember the angels with the flaming swords guard the way to the tree of life. I'm, I'm pretty certain that has to do with the way to get back. And that's pretty amazing. Not hurt of the second death, the hidden manna, you know, I get to enjoy something, some heavenly food. White stone and a new name, power over the nations. The morning star, that's Jesus. He's the bright and morning star. Lucifer is the son of the morning. He was created by Jesus. And he was the angel, the anointed cherub that covered God's throne before he rebelled against God in Ezekiel 28. You get a change of clothing. You get white raiment. You get to be a pillar in God's temple. You get to sit on, on uh, the throne with Christ, ruling over the earth and inherit all things. And all of those are conditional promises to the overcomer. It's amazing you know, I, want, I just want you to be encouraged that if you're serving the Lord right now, you are not doing it in vain. You have something to look forward to. And I know it's hard and the world is like a, a pressure vessel that the enemy will just try to ramp up and ramp up and squeeze and prevent you from fulfilling your call in your life or being outspoken or witnessing to that person or... The, the holidays coming up. I bet everyone in this room right now has a family member they know they need to share Jesus with. 
And the enemy does not want you to do that, right? And so he'll try to get in the way somehow, but you've got to press on. And being in war is hard, but there's a time when we will be in peace with the Messiah. And so just keep that in mind. You have something you're running for. So finish the race. You've got to overcome the trials and tribulations. Be spiritually zealous for the Lord. Do not deny Jesus. Don't defile and be spotted of this world and keep the word of his patience. When you keep his word, that's the only way to have patience to finish the race is to keep his word. You know, if you're listening to this out there and you're not saved, you need to be born again. And the Lord has a mighty call on your life. He has something for you to do. He has a call for you. He's petitioning you. He's pleading with you. Just do that today. It's Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is so simple. You do not have to add anything to it from that point because Jesus's work on the cross is enough. To have to add anything to it would be blasphemy, that his work wasn't enough. He alone is sufficient to pay for every single sin of humanity from beginning to end. And he did that for you. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. God, we know that this word is going out to so many people around this world. And we just pray that, Lord, if someone is not saved and they come across these messages, we pray that you would move heaven and earth and cry out to them with a shout that will shake their very soul and their spirit and they would yield their lives to you and be forever transformed, born again in the spirit, God, to rule and to reign with you and to chase after you every day of their lives. God, we do pray over this church and all of these families. We pray that God, you would speak to us in our own lives that God, you would petition us and call us to a higher plane, a deeper place of sacrifice, a deeper place of commitment, a deeper place of walking and fellowship with you. God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the churches right now from Revelation. And Lord, we know that we are living in the church of Laodicea in the last days. So Lord, I pray that you'd give us strength to walk according to your promise and your purposes, your call, and that, God, we would stand strong and not retreat. Do not yield ground to the enemy, but stand firm. And, Lord, as we prepare to continue to go into 2024, Lord, the year of the open door, we pray that, Jesus, just as you promised, the door that you open, no man can shut, and the door that you shut, no man can open. So lead our paths and guide us as the light of the world, Lord. And we thank you for this time together. Be with the conference this morning and bless your people that are gathered together, all of those women, to study your word. Bless them, Lord, and let them hear from you this morning. God, be with us right here as we gather around to study Zechariah 9 next Sunday and to study one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. When you rode in to the day on the donkey, 
to save all of mankind. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. See you next week, everybody.